Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by a Harvard psychiatrist, professional chef and best-selling author, Dr. Uma Naidu. Dr. Uma is the author of the Food Mood Connection, and her research explains the many ways that food contributes to our mental health and shows how our diet can help to treat and even prevent a wide range of psychological and cognitive health issues from ADHD to anxiety and many more. So I'm really excited to just bring this conversation to you all and to be joined by Dr. Uma today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Adrian. It's so great to be here. Well, we've got so many things to talk about today, and especially at this time of the year, when I know that for a lot of people, they are focused on their diet and they might be thinking about cutting calories or reducing sugar and alcohol. And often at the start of the year, people take quite a reductive approach to, you know, eliminating certain foods. But what I really love about your work and what I'd love to talk about today is some of the foods that we should be trying to add into our diets and how that approach could maybe be better for us when it comes to improving our mental and physical health. And again, I just can't stress enough. I think at this time of the year, especially here in the UK, when it's dark and it's cold and you know a lot of people suffer from low mood. So I think if there's things that we can do, foods that we can eat to help optimize our energy and boost our mood, then I think that would be a great place to start. I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, one of the things I, I like to suggest to people is is you can you always have the ability and the power is at the end of your fork. So you always have the ability, Adrian, to reset, to regroup in the new year and to find your healthy way forward. So rather than jump into those overly restrictive behaviors, which can actually have a have an effect of sort of backfiring a little bit because you start to restrict a food or a group or a, a certain a certain thing and then you your body craves it um rather just go towards a healthier balanced diet you know cutting back on those extra desserts all the probably sugary foods we may have eaten maybe the one too many glasses of wine we had at new year's whatever it might be it's just an easy reset if you are patient with yourself and you realize that it's a marathon and not a sprint. Hmm. Yeah, patience, I think, is, is a big one. And I mentioned about the the connection in January between low mood, and I'm sure everyone's familiar with this idea of Blue Monday, which apparently is the third Monday of January is when everybody feels mm. low and down. So when it comes to mood and, and I guess mood boosting foods, what are the things that we we should be yeah thinking about? Which kind of food should we be adding into our diets? Which deficiencies, I suppose, are going to uh, exasperate those feelings of low mood? And which foods could we could we be adding in to help boost our mood? Uh, great question. So, you know, one of the things we want to think about is we want to think about those foods that are um, 
fiber-rich foods because the plant-rich foods in our diet, we get fiber from plants, uh, fruit, uh, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, lentils, and whole grains. Now, these fiber-rich foods actually feed the gut microbes. So you want to start to lean into those foods, healthy versions of them. Then you want to think of another group as prebiotics and probiotics and fermented food, uh, foods. And prebiotics you get from garlic, leeks, onions. So think about, you know, the stews and the soups that we'll be making in winter and add those into whatever you might be making, including things like curry, uh, something that's flavorful with spices as well. So what, what those foods are doing are giving you prebiotic fiber for your gut microbes. Probiotics, if you consume yogurt, you can have a dairy or non-dairy yogurt. And fermented foods have been shown to reduce inflammation in your gut. So that's another food group to be leaning into. And the third that I like to suggest, well, there are four, but the third I like to suggest is your go-tos are those healthy fats from omega-3 fatty acids, like in fatty fish such as salmon or things like olive oil. And the the other group, there there are many more foods, Adrian. But before, I'd like like people to think about the spices, um, mm-hmm. turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, uh, often included in curry spice, uh, saffron um, are, are two of the uh, uh, spices that you can start to incorporate in your foods to help with mood. And the herbs uh, as part of that group would be oregano, lavender, passion flower, and chamomile. So think of a tea that you can add in or a roasted veggie that you can use oregano in um, to help you a lot. All good things because I love spices. I love cooking. I love um, just all the colors, all the flavors, all of those things. So that is music to my ears. And you mentioned the gut microbe, uh, gut microbiome. And now this is something that I've heard a lot about in the last few years. And it seems as though you know, many people are encouraging us to, of course, focus on this this variety. So trying to get 30 different plants to, to feed the gut microbes. But I also, I know that you talk in your book and you highlight the effects of stress on your gut health. And so obviously food is one part, which I hope people will yes. focus on, but there's so many other things that it can impact our, our gut health. And I think a quote that I took says, just two hours of stress can completely change the bacteria in our gut. So my first question about this is, essentially what is going on i guess externally that is why is that impacting having such a profound impact on what's going on inside our guts yeah so you know the gut microbes are really part of our body they're part of our system and the newer science around the gut microbiome and the gut microbes is really only of the last couple of decades so research is always emerging but what we do know adrian is that you know whether you have a bad day at work a difficult boss that you're handling or um, a stressful situation in your family um, the gut microbes are responding to how you are feeling and it's almost as though the emotional stress gets translated into how they function and are impacted and the breakdown products and substances that they form. So this is something for us to be super, you know, thoughtful about, because usually when people think about stress, they think about the the hormone cortisol, and of course cortisol is also involved, but they don't necessarily think that there'll be an impact anywhere else in the body. And the microbes are really interacting with us all the time. So taking care of them, even through managing our stress better becomes important too. 
Yeah. And what are some things that we could do, I suppose, to kind of mitigate against this? Because of course we can't eliminate stress from our lives and life has ups and downs. Sometimes we might be managing lots of things that are going to yeah, cause stress. And I think often when people hear, oh, stress is bad for us, we should, they feel frustrated because they think, well, I can't necessarily just always avoid stress. So are there any things that we can do maybe before we eat or times that we should eat or things if we are experiencing a period of, of high pressure or stress other things we can do around that there there are several different things you know the model of care that i practice in nutritional psychiatry is a holistic integrated and functional approach and so i really believe that it's nutrition is a major pillar of this but in addition to what we eat and we can go into that in a second having a mindfulness practice um getting up in the morning and if if you know or practice yoga even doing a sun salutation to sort of open up your mind and body for the day and have your mind be in a better place of um, kind of a quiet time um, is important. You know, drinking a nice glass of water when you wake up in the morning because your body is dehydrated overnight is a great way to reset. Uh, All of these things actually add to how we even enter the day. If coffee, you know, gets you a little jazzed up and is not what works for you, then maybe a golden latte or some other more calming tea would be the way to start your day. So mindset and how you actually start your day becomes important. Um, The other thing I think really helps uh, fend off stress is being prepared. So you, if, you know, say you, you choose a meal prep day on a weekend, you know, having some quick breakfasts prepared like a chia pudding. Uh, if you consume eggs, a little mini frittata that you that you have prepared and that you can eat that morning so you don't have to think about what am I going to eat for breakfast? What am I going to prepare? Um, and, you know, exercising, uh, really burning off that angst, that feeling of uh, maybe feeling too anxious or feeling worried, whatever it might be, can also help. Um, you know, so whatever... I, I like people to incorporate the things that really speak to them. For some for some people, it's a yoga class in the morning or it's an exercise routine um, where they, they feel active. And once the endorphins uh, are, are released, you know, they're feeling better already and it offsets some of that stress that they're experiencing. But those are some of the things that I think are key. Um, and, and making sure that you're sleeping adequately And sleeping soundly is super important because if you wake up uh, poorly rested, it just starts off your day in in sort of a bit of a negative cycle and also with that much more stress that you're bearing. Yeah. And I think I definitely noticed the feelings myself. I tried to, I tried to have a really good sleep routine and I definitely noticed if I haven't slept well, or if I've been to bed too late, then the following morning or the next day, I tend to, I think, crave more sugary foods. I might snack more because of the fact that I, yeah, I didn't sleep well. And as you're talking then about, as you're talking then about the morning and about movement, it definitely got me thinking as well about being able to listen to your own appetite. And I I think that when I speak mm. to people that say to me they're you know busy lives and they're pretty overwhelmed and stressed and they might have yeah a busy job and kids and they tell me oh you know the mornings are so busy I just quickly drink this shake or I quickly eat this thing just to because mm. because we've been told I've definitely been told as a woman skipping breakfast is you know terrible you must have breakfast and you must have some protein in the morning but if you wake up mm-hmm. and you don't feel hungry should mm-hmm. do you do you encourage people to have breakfast anyway or 
do you think it's better to wait until your body tells you and you feel your appetite that you're actually hungry? So, you know, Adrian, it depends on the condition. Some people who have anxiety and wake up super anxious need something uh, because hypoglycemia or low blood sugar can bring on anxiety. So I might actually ask them to see if they have a light breakfast um, with a calming tea, if that's better, if that feels better for them. But I understand what you're saying, because to me, individuals who may be not suffering with anxiety, but wake up and are simply not hungry, tapping into that natural fasting cycle that they have um, would maybe benefit them and benefit their eating patterns. So say, for example, they wake up and they are not hungry, but they feel hungry by 11. Then I suggest to them that they have their healthy meals in sort of a fasting window, um, you know, a fasting window around the hours that they're eating, but they eat between that time and, you know, a few hours before bed. What I call that is really tapping into body intelligence, which is paying attention to what your body is telling you, what feels comfortable, uh, not forcing yourself to eat something when you don't feel hungry, because there are some benefits of intermittent fasting on on, on our physical health that we can actually utilize to uh, to our best benefit. So no harm there. But I think there are some caveats like people who wake up with anxiety um, and who may be uh, low in their blood sugar. Yeah, I think the it's really interesting, the link between anxiety and, and food and it are all, you know, cognitive issues. Because I think for so long, we've talked about mental health over here, physical health over here, the mind here, yes. the body here. And often when people it's have said... siloed. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's been siloed for so long. And when people talk about this connection, you know, the, the mind body and people think, oh, it's quite holistic or it's not um, it's not scientific or it's not medical. Mm-hmm. So it's really mm-hmm. wonderful, I think, to see actually doctors, medical professionals, people actually saying, no, this this is it's right to think of to think of them as one thing. And of course, they are absolutely impacted and linked. You can't separate one from the other. That that's completely correct. I, I I totally agree with you. So if somebody who suffers from anxiety is thinking, okay, I haven't actually considered, you know, how my diet might be impacting. I think caffeine is one many people are aware of. But are there any other mm-hmm. things that people could be um, maybe they haven't considered and could be really impacting them? Yes, um, artificial sweetness. So you know, people don't realize that certain artificial sweeteners can worsen anxiety and um, that it could be a problem for them that, you know, I I had a person last year who was trying to come off um, soda, um, you know, sugar sweetened beverage and decided to cut back and go to a um, a sugar-free diet soda. And what happened was that uh, the you know, his anxiety just worsened. So it's, it's it's sometimes the things we don't realize that that may be impacting us. Um, artificial sweeteners can be a problem. The wrong types of fats can be an issue. Um, nitrates in, you know, preserved meats and certain preserved foods can actually drive certain symptoms. So considering all of that becomes important. Yeah, I had a, a look at the back of one of the supplements. It's a vitamin C effervescent that I drink quite frequently and I drop it into the water yeah. and I think, oh, you know, great. And I actually looked at the back of that the other day because of a conversation I'd had about this artificial sweetness. And there's so many and the Spartans and all these things in there, which I didn't realize right. actually were, were in there. And so I'm, I'm currently trying to find a vitamin C that doesn't have any of these artificial sweeteners. 
<laughs> because of course if it's something you want to take every single morning you don't want to start my day every day with a glass full of sweetness right <laughs> so that's what i'm trying to trying to find for myself and another one that i'd love to discuss with you is vitamin b12 yeah vitamin b but for specifically b12 because i've read a lot about this i read that it can improve mm-hmm. low mood uh, depression and also help energy management throughout our ovulation cycle so this has been a, a, a vitamin that i've taken for a very long time and of course mm-hmm. i am not a doctor or nutritionist so i don't like to advise but when people ask me if it's you know a friend i always say oh my gosh vitamin b12 i don't know what it is but trust me if i stop taking it i feel the difference so is vitamin b12 something we can can we get enough of it from our diets or do we need to supplement this it it always depends on on the person because you know medicine is really much more personalized now and um, a, a person may have a certain diet for example if someone's vegetarian or vegan or plant-based they may not necessarily be consuming vitamin b12 because that is often contained in animal products so I, you know, it, 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 it depends on that. I'm also a person, Adrian, that, you know, I feel uh, we shouldn't guess, but we should test. So test, don't guess. And vitamin B12 is easy to test. It's an essential vitamin for forming red blood cells and DNA. It supports our nervous system and it's easy to test. So when it's deficient, it's important to supplement it or obtain that uh, through food sources. And, um, uh, I would say that it's a critical vitamin because firstly, the B vitamins are super important for our brain and it's one of the key uh, B vitamins that we need. So, you know, uh, making sure you have have enough of it in your diet and or supplementing if you don't have enough in your diet becomes important. And you mentioned test, don't guess, which I love. Is that um, is that a simple blood test that you can do to find out if you, um, and can you do that across, I guess, all vitamin profiles? Um, mostly we use it for things like vitamin B12, vitamin D and a few others. Um, I think certain special lab testing can get, get yes, can get the uh, exact levels of certain other vitamins, but those are used less clinically. You know, we uh, we might check a certain level if we absolutely need it, but routine testing is pretty easy and straightforward to get a, a vitamin B12 uh, level. Yeah, because again, I have doctor friends who I often say to them, should I go and get all these things blood tested? And some say, yeah, sure, why not? But others say to me, no, Adrienne, you're almost, I don't know, I think there's a difference, isn't there, between trying <laughs> to have a well-rounded um, overall approach to well-being and then I think maybe going too granular and almost being a hypochondriac and sometimes I think I skirt the, the line between the two so I think some friends would say to me you don't need to go you're fine and others are like yeah sure well you know not I my personal approach is that knowledge is empowering and I think why yes. not go yeah. and find out yeah. as much and as I can out. about my body yeah. because you know I go and get my car MOT'd and serviced and sometimes I think actually I probably have more information written down about my car than my own body right i i agree with that so i think um making sure that you are tracking those things and getting the right checkups and getting the right tests becomes key because i do think that we need to advocate for our own health um you know no medical system is perfect and medical science is not perfect we're always learning always researching and finding out new things i don't think we should ever be absolute about anything so being your own advocate is super important 
Great. Okay, well, I shall take it from you, Dr. Uma, and I will go and do, do, do a bit more testing. Um, and so another thing, another thing I love about your work is the recipes, the love of food. I mentioned, you know, I love to cook. I love, I love to prepare food just as much as I love to eat food. And I think it's yeah. a really nice way to approach food is to think about I don't know, it gives me this additional layer when I'm chopping and cooking and looking at all the colors to add this other, the other side around, okay, which foods are going to be good for the brain and, you know, which foods are going to feed the gut microbes. And I think it's also a great way to engage children in cooking as well and start to talk about foods in a way with them that doesn't just label food as this is good food, this is bad food, or this is, you know, eat these things or eat, but actually saying to them, this, did you know, this is going to help, uh, I don't know, your um, microbes in your stomach which is going to help this or this is going to help boost and I try to do that with with my son and with my stepchildren but even as adults I think we can kind of just get more excited about food I completely agree you know um I think it's one of the uh, food is very empowering we have the choice to make um you know the powers at the end of our fork and I do feel like we can bring variety and fun and flavor to it and children should absolutely be introduced to food early on and even food preparation or being around their parents preparing food, it, it gives them a whole education in um, how they can, uh, how they formulate their own needs and how they eat. So all of those things are super important. I think if you love food, actually, even if you don't love food, um, getting a little bit familiar with even some basic things becomes important just for your overall mental well-being as well as your physical health. Yeah. And of course, a lot of parents will think, well, you know, my children might be fussy eaters. And in fact, I actually had lunch with a friend recently and I hope she won't mind me <laughs> saying this. I was surprised at how fussy she is. And she actually said to me, she was asking me for advice and she said, oh yeah, I don't really like vegetables. I don't really like salads. She said, I can just, I do, I don't mind fruit because it's sweet. And I was shocked. I thought this is my friend who's nearly 40 years old telling me she doesn't like vegetables, doesn't like salad, but I'm sure there are lots of adults maybe that, that don't, um, maybe they're fussy eaters. So do you have any advice for those people? And, you know, and it comes to, of, of course, all the wonderful, um, recipes and all the things that we ideally should include, but what about fussy eaters? I think it's about, um, you know, what they're fussy about and understanding is it that they um, don't like the taste of a certain food, don't like the texture, the color. Is it, um, you know, they don't like an entire food group, like a friend who doesn't like vegetables. Um, you know, then finding something that they'd be willing, they, they almost, Adrian, have to have a little bit of open mindedness, right, to either try a new vegetable, try something mm -hmm. different, um, but mostly I feel that what works for people is when they find something they like. Um, so if someone even is having difficulty exercising, I might ask them to start walking, walk the dog, you know, walk to buy a cup of coffee, walk to buy the newspaper, um, get them moving as they can build up towards what would be considered, you know, better exercise and, and more of the norm. Same thing with food. You know, if you don't eat certain foods um, and you're just excluding them because you simply don't like them, maybe finding a way that you can even try a tasty recipe or have um, a way to incorporate them in your diet that they are flavorful and interesting to you, you might be able to slowly change your mind on that. Um, it's it's a hard one. Uh, I think with with you know with so-called fussy eaters can be a hard one. Um, I think with children, I have slightly different advice that they, you know, sometimes they get attached to a certain color or texture 
or flavor, then, you know, you might have to be a little bit um, of a trickster with kind of putting healthy foods mm -hmm. and presenting them in different ways so that they, the, the child is still getting the nutrition they need, but delivered maybe in a, in a slightly different way. Yeah, I think we've all tried those different um, tactics over the years. <laughs> and it's quite interesting for me now having stepchildren because um, the children sometimes when they think, group element can make them quite competitive so I tend to lean yeah. into that now so I'll say oh who can try this it's really you know this spicy you right. know, who's, who's brave enough to and then I'll, right. I'll try it I'll try it and then the next one says oh I'll try it. and it's so funny because if one does it they're so competitive now they all want to try the spicy thing um so yeah, yeah. it's quite like different that. different yeah. tactics um and on the one hand I've, I've talked of course about you know at the start of the year it's not just about okay cutting calories and cutting food groups and you know adding different things in and we're talking about you know enjoying food but I also do know that for a lot of people for whatever reason whether it's because they've consumed a lot of diet culture diet media maybe they've just spent years dieting you know I also have female friends I shouldn't say it's just female friends but in my experience it is female friends who've spent years dieting and actually they've almost mm. developed a bit of I feel like they've developed almost a fear about certain foods. They have this real fear yeah. that, oh, these mm -hmm. foods are going to cause, you know, friends that will say to me, mm -hmm. oh, those cause foods cause me to, um, to blow up or to they cause me to really get really bloated or I, I you know, I'll gain weight if I yeah. eat those foods and they have this real fear yeah. of certain foods. So I'd yeah. wondered if you could, yeah, I guess talk to us a little bit about what's going on there from a, a psychology perspective, as well as from yeah. a real perspective. Cause of course, maybe some foods, yeah when aren't good for, for us or we have that effect but maybe yeah right. is it is it how much is going on in, in the mind as well as the body yeah i think that's a really great question you know um there's a condition called orthorexia which is um some of what you're describing where people are either consuming a super healthy diet but they're becoming so restrictive without realizing it that they're starting to exclude certain foods and they Ultimately, even though they're trying to be healthy, they may not be healthy because they're going to such an extreme. In a similar way, people can become fearful of certain foods, certain food groups, feeling that, you know, if they eat something, they're just going to get sick or they're going to. And if they have an allergy or an intolerance, so they've had a prior bad reaction, I can understand that. But sometimes it, it is the mind sort of playing tricks and sort of taking over and making them feel like they just cannot consume any of this or any green vegetable or um, something like that. And then, you know, it, it does involve uh, more of a conversation. And I, I do feel therapy can be helpful because mm -hmm. cutting off entire food groups and being so restrictive can be, um, you know, can, can lead to being malnourished from certain foods and vitamins and minerals that your body actually needs. Yeah. I also think it's, it's really sad when I think it starts to affect other areas of your life. So it might be your social life. It might be your relationship. You know, I know friends who've said to me before, oh, I don't, I don't go to those. If they get invited to something, they're like, oh, actually, you know, I'm not going to go because if I go, I might eat these foods or I might drink too much alcohol or mm -hmm. I might have sugar. Mm -hmm. And you think, you know, it's sad to think, actually, of course, I will always advocate for, advocate for, you know, well-being, and I want to, you know, have a, a great diet and I want to exercise well. But part of living our lives is to actually live and to enjoy ourselves and i think it's a real right. I think that's for me a bit of a red flag when when you're actually changing yes. your daily habits your behaviors or social life to allow that's or right. to to you know to kind of to adjust accommodate. what you're going to eat yeah 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 i i think you that's a really good point because you're 
your 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 lifestyle and your life circumstances are being changed by your behavior you know so you've decided that you not going to eat a certain food and so then you start to exclude yourself from certain events or holidays or parties because you're so afraid of coming face to face with that food or that that beverage or whatever it might be and that ends up being goes back to that um to that restrictive mentality, Edwin, which which I think just ends up being very difficult for people because they stop eating things or drinking things, and there's often just a negative effect on their body. Mm. Yeah, I think dry January is obviously a a common one that people try to do. And now alcohol, I'll be honest with you, Dr. Uma, alcohol is something that throughout my teen years, throughout my twenties when everybody else I think seemed to explore and discover alcohol I never did I think because I okay. I was you know I was training at the time to be a professional dancer and then I was a I've just I just didn't didn't do that at all so I discovered okay. alcohol later on in my life and now that now that I have it's quite funny because I really see how for some people it's such a normal habitual part of their day or part of their evening to just have a beer or have a glass of wine but for other people for me you know like I said growing up I never had alcohol in my house I just never I never would even think to to drink alcohol in at home but now I'm definitely you know um my husband likes to drink and so therefore I find myself thinking oh yeah I'll just have a glass of wine and so I'm interested to think about yeah I guess I guess my question is about is the the frequency of how much you drink is that as important as the kind of quantity or the volume because for example like is it better to say okay maybe people don't drink during the week but they drink 10 drinks at the weekend or is it just the same as having one glass of wine every single night because for me I think frequency it seems a bit strange to drink alcohol you know every night um but for a lot of people they're like they think that's quite normal they're like of course have a glass of wine relax why are you so uptight (laughs) right Right. And, you know, the pandemic didn't help that um, either. So um, especially where, you know, people were isolated and, and, and um, alone and or, or even with family, but sort of separated from society. I think that uh, the, 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 it's not an easy answer and it's not a straightforward answer. I think paying attention to what works for you is important and drinking in moderation and paying attention to clean cocktails are what I suggest to people. Um, I think understanding that it may be coming more of a habit that you need to be careful of and, you know, uh, proceed with moderation, cut back a little bit, tweak what you're doing becomes important as well. How you're feeling, it may be not making you feel well. You may be feeling jittery. You may be feeling uncomfortable. You may not be sleeping well. All of that are telltale signs that, you know, you might need to be paying attention to this differently. Um, the uh the 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 short answer is that studies are always very mixed on these subjects and i think context of how people consume alcohol matters so um studies in the blue zones looked at sardinia and consuming two glasses of red wine with dinner to be super healthy and there are some blue zones in the world like loma linda where they don't consume alcohol but context matters. So these individuals in Sardinia were have had a sense of family, a sense of community. They were enjoying their food. They were sitting around a table. They were relaxing when they were eating. Um, mm-hmm. And they were, you know, consuming a couple of glasses of wine over a, a long dinner. So context also matters. Um, 
And I, I think all of those things need to be taken into account. The short, uh, the easy rules are clean cocktails um, in moderation. You know, if you think that something's becoming an issue, maybe get some help with it or decide that you're going to do things differently. Um, you're going to skip certain nights so only have something at dinner on the weekend. Make it work for you because we are, our microbiome is so highly individual that that becomes important for us to understand as well. Yeah, I th- I agree that it's very complex. I, I did a, an episode in the summer with a doctor specifically talking about alcohol and alcoholism. And it was very much just, yeah, looking at the culture of different cultures and habits and, and, and looking at all the complex things that impact our relationship with alcohol. And actually how yeah. I think so many societies have promoted alcoholism to be normal. And actually you're the odd one out if you're not drinking alcohol. When, yeah, yeah as you yeah. say, it's very, very personal to each of us. And yeah. I think, yeah, again being empowered to say actually this is fine for me or someone saying no that's that's not fine for me um and Mm -hmm. and knowing what that decision is is important hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, I'm conscious of time. There's so many things we could talk about, I'm sure. But I'd love to talk to you about the power hour. Now, the concept is very simple. It is all about the first hour of each day. So I've been encouraging people for years on this podcast and with my book Mm -hmm. to start their day with one hour, uh, which essentially is just reclaiming some time before they dive into their busyness of their life and work and kids. And I always say to people, it doesn't actually matter what you do in that hour specifically, I don't prescribe it, but the intentionality of having a morning practice, having a routine, knowing that you're going to do something is is what I think has, has the most impact and benefit. So I always ask my guests on the show what they do in the first hour of their, of their day and why. So Dr. Uma, what time do you typically get up in the morning and what does your first hour look like? Uh, so usually I'm up by about five, five o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm just an early riser. I go, go to bed early and I'm up early, sometimes a little earlier, but I usually um, like to make sure that I have a glass of water when I wake up. And that's usually because our body is dehydrated overnight after sleeping. And um, we may not realize it, but we might be thirsty. So that helps me uh, reset for my day. I enjoy a cup of coffee, but before I do my coffee, I love to do a sun salutation yoga, Um, just something I learned with my grandmother and still like to um, practice because it kind of gets me to be with myself, with my thoughts and prepare for the day ahead. Um, And then I enjoy a really good cup of coffee, which is one of my favorite things to do. And I I don't eat until a little bit later. Um, But those are the first few things I do in the first hour um, of my day. Also a Mm. mindfulness practice because I do my yoga. And sometimes if I don't feel like doing my sun salutation, I'll just start with my uh, mindfulness practice, which in my case is TM. 
And do you find that this morning routine of, uh, does that change throughout the year? Does it change throughout the seasons or is it pretty consistent? Um, I try to be consistent, um, but it can change seasonally. Like, it, you know, we uh, with the time difference and the time changes, it's darker um, much later in the morning and, and darker early in the evening. Sometimes I, I switch around when I do what, but mostly I make sure that I have, a good good plan within myself for the day and it's not perfect but I find that that first hour of myself um kind of focusing a little bit inwardly is super important for me yeah and you mentioned 5 a.m and that you go to bed early as well so what time do you go to bed how many hours sleep are you getting so I try to get about seven hours of sleep a night and yeah. um I yes I usually start to wind down i sometimes work until late but i start i have this period of time when i start to wind down and, and really switch off from the day it doesn't always work it's not perfect some days i'm super busy and i can't stop working until much later but i try to do that the, the fact that i'm mindful of it i think really helps as well yeah i think that is the key for a lot of people if they could have the discipline to go to bed early i think that actually is the key to getting up early you know as an early riser yeah, yeah. i people always ask me that hey oh, adrian how do you get up at that time and for me it's all about it. i can wake up in the morning now i'm so used to it but for me the discipline required is so tempting for me to stay up i always think oh i could do this i could do and i'm like no 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 no. i have to literally have like a ninja like <laughs> discipline to force myself to go up the stairs you know and just go go upstairs because once I'm upstairs that that for me means yeah. okay we're winding down but it is it does require discipline and, and uh, it's not easy it's a lot of distractions now to keep us all up I agree with you thank you so much Dr Uma I am so grateful for your time I appreciate that you have such a busy schedule you work so incredibly hard I feel like you know following in you following you online seeing all the work and the content that you put out you are always doing so many things you're so busy so I really appreciate you joining us for the podcast Thanks, Adrian. I'm so excited to have spoken with you and thanks for inviting me and thanks for the great questions. All right. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. As always, let us know and I'll be back with another episode next week. See you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.